Hello. I'm Tyler. This is my podcast on uh, changing the norms for the institution that is at public education. So first off, I would like to uh, talk about what exactly I'm covering, and that is the mental health side of our education system, specifically the mental health of the students who attend our schools. Uh, the issues I'd like to talk uh, bring up the most is the insane amount of people who are suffering from anxiety and depression. People should not be carrying a heavy burden for their whole life simply because they attended public school. So in this podcast, I'll be using various audio clips and insert statistics from uh, many sites to back up my claims that the education system needs to be fixed. Until it's fixed, we won't have a true way to pump out skilled laborers because we do have a, a, a purpose crisis on our hands. And to, to fix that, we need to look at the problem behind why students are so upset with our current system that we have. I would like to start off with a clip from Temple Grandin's TEDx talk on why the world needs different types of minds. And I will, after playing the clip, discuss why it's or and what it means to me and to this topic. Perhaps that was absolutely fine. Now, the thing is, the world is going to need all of the different kinds of minds to work together. We've got to work on developing all these different kinds of minds. And one of the things that's driving me really crazy as I travel around and I do autism meetings is I'm seeing a lot of smart, geeky, nerdy kids. And they just aren't very social. And nobody's working on developing their interest in something like science. And this brings up the whole thing of my science teacher. My science teacher is shown absolutely beautifully in the movie. As a goofball student when I was in high school, I just didn't care at all about studying until I had a Mr. Carlock's science class. He was now Dr. Carlock in the movie. And uh, he, uh, he got me challenged to figure out an optical illusion room. This brings up the whole thing of you got to show kids interesting stuff. You know, one of the things that uh, I think maybe Ted ought to do is uh, tell all the schools about all the great lectures that are on Ted. There's all kinds of great stuff on the Internet to get these kids turned on. Because I'm seeing a lot of these geeky, nerdy kids and the teachers out in the Midwest and other parts of the country, when you get away from these tech areas, they don't know what to do with these kids. And they're not going down the right path. Now, something uh, I'm sure you heard the thing I, I hope you caught there was he said, we need to show these kids interesting stuff. If we don't, we end up just pumping out the same thing over and over. And that's how we end up with all these kids being anxious and, and having depression and committing suicide and killing each other. Because when we treat everyone the same, no one feels special. When the teachers treat everyone the same, like they're all normal, we end up with kids who need help not getting help. And that leads down a rabbit hole. If someone's failing a class, they're going to feel like, like, frankly, shit. And unless they get the help they need, which I don't see enough of in the schools and the statistics show we don't have enough of, then they will get in their own heads. And that's how we'll end up with kids with all these mental disorders that they'll carry without them their whole life. All right, now I'm going to play a clip of um, how can you improve school-based mental health support uh, by Jordan Wells. I'm saying this because 
I wasn't always the person to come forth and say, I'm nervous or, you know, I'm sad, I'm feeling kind of angry right now. I wasn't the person to always come up and be in front with my emotions to myself and to others. Growing up, my family, it wasn't really the natural thing to really say, hey, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? You know, I'm kind of feeling down. I need to sit down with you if we can talk, you know? I grew up without my father, and this put a dent in my life. I was hurt for a long time, and just recently, I started seeking help. Growing up without my father made it even worse that I felt uncomfortable talking to my own family about my emotions. I did have this fifth grade teacher that I'm super thankful for because she is the one person when I was young to say, you can talk to me about anything whenever I'm here for you. I will always remember her and I'm so thankful and I truly do wish that everybody else had somebody like her in their lives. In seventh grade, I transferred to Boston Latin Academy. And in eighth, in eighth grade, my civics class started a research project on the lack of mental health support for students in middles and high schools. Now, this started off as a mandatory research project that everybody was doing. It was just like, whatever. I don't care. We're doing this for a grade and I'm going home at the end of the day. But for me, it was so much deeper because I have some sort of part in my brain. I knew that this was what I liked, that this was important to me, and I loved it. I stayed after school for hours working on a board, a project, and this project is becoming my life. So it's no longer a project to me. And by the end of this talk, I hope you guys don't see this as a project or just a TED Talk that you came to hear about. I want you guys to take this and say, how can I change this for my child, for my child's school, for my school? All right, I already pointed that. So what she talked about is getting the resources that she needed from school, about learning to talk about her emotions and not let them well up inside and build up until they reach a breaking point. Because that's what a surprising amount of kids do. Uh, look at all these CDC, APA, uh, whatever, any source top, uh, statistics, you'll see that kids are not fine. One out of six kids, or, of our sorry, young adults, teenagers, have anxiety or depression. One in six, half of those carry those issues throughout their whole life. And this isn't including undiagnosed. Like most people will say they have, most people brag about in the school systems. Kids need resources, and that's what Jordan Wells touches up on. She talks about why these kids need what they need. Why having someone to talk to helps so much. Why it makes all the difference. I've had, I, sorry, I've had experience with this. I've had a lot of depressed, suicidal friends. People cut themselves, and this is a major issue. And if they had someone to talk to, talk to of outside of their home life, they'd be fine.
Now, my friend Jesse, his parents went through divorce. He started cutting. He had known his home life wasn't good. He had nowhere to go back to. So he needed home. He, he needed school. He needed the people there to help him out. And that's what I'm advocating for. That's what Jordan Ball is advocating for. And that's the point of this podcast. Right now, I would like to go to an interview with my mom and her coworker. They are mental health professionals and they work with kids all the time. Uh, they're both social workers. My mom uh, also does other stuff, but she also gives time to CCHS, Catholic Community Health Services, where she goes around and helps families in need. So she really sees the butt of everything, why things happen, what's going on, the causes, what happens when you have a bad home life, what happens when they don't have anywhere to go. So I'll be leading a, a directed discussion with them right now. Thank you. All right, here's a really powerful clip from a podcast, mental health podcast, where they interviewed a young girl about what mental health means to her. She's a leader of two nonprofits, and I think she's a great source for this information. There you go. Depression in our society is not obvious when walking down the street or the hallway. But simply open your laptops, laptops, your smartphones, your tablets, and do maybe one Google search, and you will be blown away. After my one Google search, I found that after a study conducted in this spring, 1.6 million Tumblr blogs were examined, and of those, 200,000 contained pictures, videos, and text posts of teenagers hurting themselves due to depression. Is it because we now have the technology to express an ever-present feeling, or is it something greater? Is it just a coincidence that school systems and standardized tests, they're getting harder and college acceptance rates are going down and the pressures to be a stereotypical man or woman are everywhere? Is it possible that we, that this society, is the thing responsible for the increase in a disease that is more than capable of killing? And we don't talk about it much because it's often deemed a phase or hormones or being over-emotional. Oftentimes, conversations regarding mental illnesses such as depression result in words being thrown around that are nearly irrelevant. Depression is not the emotion sadness. Depression is a state of being below neutrality. Sadness is an emotion that comes and goes just as happiness does. My biggest pet peeve is when someone comes up to you and says something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I was just depressed earlier. I'm so depressed right now. Depression does not just come and go, it's there. And it is the third largest cause of death among teenagers in this country. 4,400 kids commit suicide a year. And for every one of those, at least 100 attempt. So now I'm standing here asking you all the same simple question I asked myself when I was in the hospital, why? But this time it's why we're not doing more to prevent this. My school has a bridge program for kids that are transitioning in from an extended absence. Many of us have suffered from severe depression and severe anxiety, and many of us say that the program has saved our lives because it puts our mental health first. How can we be expected to be successful in life and go to a good college and have a good career if, if the pressure is too overwhelming and we don't even finish high school? Bridge talks to our parents, our teachers, anyone we need to know what is going on in order to help us cope. The bridge team consists of an academic coordinator who has the weirdest taste in music. Like this guy is either listening to Bob Marley or like tribal music. There's really no in between. We have a mental health specialist who is obsessed with mini Butterfingers. 
an intern who is insanely good at bananagrams, and another intern who, though, is very smart and goes to Harvard, has yet to advance past two songs on the guitar this year. But even so, these four people have become a both necessary and life-changing asset in mine and other bridge students' lives. I'm here today to ask you all a quick favor. A quick favor to advocate to schools, advocate to your school boards for these programs. Because when I was in the mental hospital, I met a girl, we can call her Jane. And Jane had been there for weeks. And I had never met someone who, who understood what I was going through. And though I thought that she felt the exact same pain, had the exact same fear as me, she had been there for weeks. It was her third hospitalization and her school had no support for her. I told her about Bridge and she was blown away that something like that existed. We shouldn't have to wait for these statistics to get higher and the number of teens to skyrocket. Because if we have the power to raise $100 million in a month for ALS, we have the power to advocate to schools for programs. I'm in the process of creating another nonprofit organization of which provides schools with the funding necessary to create these programs for teens. So please be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, if you don't have depression or you don't know anyone who does, advocate for the 10 to 15% of our society that is suffering from this disease. We are so blessed to live in a country where our voices, our voices are meant to be heard and they actually mean something. So if just some of you who listen to me talk today advocate to your school boards and you beg, plead, demand that programs are set up and maybe you start a petition and it's for school funded support, whatever you do, just do something, the impact will be life changing. Together we can fight this disease that is controlling so many of us. And if you're out there and you're dealing with depression, turn the energy that you have towards hatred for this awful thing into energy for change. Because together, we can fight back and we can't let it win. We can't let depression win anymore. It's time to fight back. Thank you. All right. So there's obviously a lot to unpack there. Very, very, very powerful. Now, uh, the main thing I'd like to focus on is where she talks about having these programs that can help these kids. Like her school had a bridge program, like she talked about where extended absences uh, were, were realized and people would be slowly run in back to school instead of just being thrust in saying, Here, here's you know 30 missing assignments because you're gone for a week. It's important to prioritize these kids' mental health over their grades. Because grades are obviously one of the biggest things that affect teens' attitudes. Um, and as she said, a lot of kids commit suicide. And according to the CDC, after every one successful suicide, 100 are attempted. That's damn near 500,000 attempted suicides. And if we don't, there's no time to just put this off. She talks about how we need to advocate for it now. We can't wait for the statistic to keep going up. Because the statistics are here that we need to address this, that too many kids are dying from anxiety, a mass amount of depression. Because depression is not an emotion. It is a state of being, as she said. You can't just go out of it. Everyone's sad especially in, in high schools, that's an awful issue. But what we need to focus on is the chronic sadness. 
the sadness that people can't escape because we've all felt it. We've all been there. We've all felt no want to get out of bed. We do have to re-stereotype uh, success. What is success? Well, for everyone, it's different. For someone who has no motivation to do anything, go to school, get up, do homework, anything, who just wants to sit and, and die and wallow, a success for them would be getting out of bed. A success for them would be catching up on the missing assignments. And I've seen too many kids that get burned out from high school because they have this massive load on them. Uh, a coworker at Walmart, someone I work with in the back room, her name's Ash. She got a full ride, a full ride at WSU. She got a 4.0 in high school, academic scholarship. A brilliant girl. I, I'll be the first to say it. But she had depression. She ended up dropping out of college, lost her scholarship. And you can tell she's just sad, depressed. She's just a state of being. I don't blame her. There's no there's no resources available for these people. Oh, scrap that. There are some, but you have to go out and get them yourself. There's no nothing going out to seek these kids that need it. Because people that are depressed don't want to look for help. They need someone to give it to them. And as much as that sounds like bailing them out, it's necessary to save these kids' lives. Just like you would look at, per uh, se, giving someone a cure to disease. Depression is a disease. We need to cure them. Because if not, it's a drag on our society. And it is statistically a first world problem. But that is because with knowledge comes you know, sadness. When tests get harder, kids feel more stress. When kids feel more stress, they get in their feelings, they get in their own heads. When they get in their own heads, they get depressed, and you can't escape that. That is the number one cause of people failing anything in life. I've been there, you've been there, we've all been there. Thank you. Right, right now, I would like to go to an interview with my mom and her coworker. They're mental health professionals and they work with kids all the time. Uh, they're both social workers. My mom uh, also does other stuff, but she also gives time to CCHS, Catholic Community Health Services, where she goes around health families in need. So she really sees the butt of everything, why things happen, what's going on, the causes. What happens when you have a bad home life? What happens when they don't have anywhere to go? So I'll be leading a, a directed discussion with them right now. Thank you. All right, Mom, Dale. So tell me a little bit about, about yourself. Uh, what, are your, what are your positions that you hold at CCS? My name is Melissa Kinsner. I am currently pursuing a doctoral degree in community care and counseling with a concentration in traumatology. I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and clinical psychology. I have my own private practice, and I also work in community mental health. I work at Catholic Community Service in intensive outpatient family behavioral health. I am a wise therapist. I've been uh, in mental health for... Five years now? Mm -hmm. Five years since I retired from the military? Yeah. 
Um, my name is Dale Rodriguez, and I am a care coordinator facilitator for the WISE program, which is an intensive outpatient wraparound program. I have um, worked in mental health now for four years, and prior to that, I was actually uh, an educator working in mid-level math and science um, and um, teaching. All right. Thank you, guys. So the first question I'd like to ask is, what do you think contributes to these mental health problems that these children are facing? What what really makes them stem? I don't think there's one specific issue per se. I think that there is a classification of issues. I think that we have to look through a trauma-informed lens. I think that whether we are looking at children from kindergarten to 12th grade or individuals in college, we have to look at individuals as individuals, whether it's depression or anxiety or conduct disorder, whatever it is, we kind of have to recognize that behavior is communication and it's important to find out what that behavior is communicating and we need to find out what beneath that communication. And oftentimes, we, uh, if we take a trauma-informed approach, we can find out more about what is going on. When we are looking at children in the education system, um, we find that there is often so much going on at yeah. Individuals that come to school are not coming to school solely focused on school because there is so much going on on at home. There is relational problems, parental problems, and all those issues come to school with the children. When teachers are frustrated that their student is not completing homework rather than shaming the student for not completing the homework. I think it's important that we find out why that homework is not completed. The individual may not have paper and pencil at home. The individual may be parentified and may be taking care of siblings at home because they come from a single parent home or because mom and dad are working and so they're taking care of their siblings there there's so many reasons that that homework may not be taken care of but i think that so often there's just such a an emphasis on your homework's not done versus well why isn't that homework done or, right or um little johnny sleeping during class and so just very frustrated that my, my students are sleeping through class and so rather than uh, being frustrated that little johnny sleeping through their math lesson recognizing that little Johnny's not getting sleep at home, which is actually a bigger issue than sleeping through the math, the math lesson. Mm -hmm. And well, why isn't little Johnny getting sleep at home? Maybe mom and or dad are alcoholics or drug addicts, or maybe um, they've experienced trauma and they have nightmares all night long. You know, like what is going on? And so is school important? Absolutely, school is important. But oftentimes school is a safe place for children. And so that's where we see the symptoms of mental health. That's where we see them um, sleeping or acting out. That's where we see what's 
what's going on. And so rather than disciplining them or, or heaping on consequences for behavior that is happening at school, I think it's important to say, what is, what's the bigger picture here? What do we really have going on? Right. So challenges in school, um, like Melissa was saying, are very, um, it's these underlying issues that often the education system doesn't have the time or the resources to even ask the question when you're a math teacher or a PE teacher um, or a history teacher. Um, it is your job to administer and to teach the curriculum and and do that to the best of your ability. Um, and there isn't the, the time or the resource to um, investigate as to why one student out of 30 is, is uh, sleeping, why they're daydreaming. And so it, um, it becomes this fundamental challenge. You know, so much of the way that we learn in general stems from our earliest childhood development in the first six months of life do we create positive bonds and attachments with our parents um and and that really sets the stage for as you develop and grow and the relationships that you have with authority figures with teachers um and so it's really hard for educators because hey they don't have any training in this they don't they don't get that background in mental health to say um you know like like melissa was saying trauma informed care how do we um how do we analyze the situation and instead what we have is an education system that was really created as a one-size-fits-all standardized curriculum because they wanted to have a standardized form of measurement that um that would be equal is the word that they use equal across all board uh, across the board but unfortunately when students are coming into the classroom they are not all equal and they don't start at the same place and they they haven't had uh, breakfast that morning and um and so it doesn't it doesn't fit it doesn't make sense to have a one-size-fits-all program for for students that are have such unique individual experiences and challenges. Mm. All right. All right. Next question, guys. So how do you think that the school system can help these kids and take a load off their shoulders? I think that there's it's I think that it would be a multifaceted approach. I think that one, I think that we need to normalize mental health. And rather than mental health being the outlier of, okay, these, these handful of children are, are so, so standing out so significantly that we're going to send them to the counselor, that we just normalize it to where mental health is a standard part of the educational system and a standard part of the curriculum to where every we build it in to where it's one of the periods to where they every student is learning coping skills and every student is learning uh, mental health techniques and skills that will help them in and out of the classroom in and out of the educational 
system, I think that it's important to take away homework in the elementary system. I, I don't think that homework is helpful in elementary school. And I know that that's coming from a mental health person and not an educator and an educator may feel absolutely different, but I, I, I don't, I feel that you can only reinforce so much. And, um, and so take the opportunity to do that in the classroom and then, uh, and then leave it there. And <laughs> so, um, so I, I think that lessening the burden of homework is important. I think that normalizing mental health is important. I think that increasing the budget for mental health, and again, I, I know that that's controversial because we're already fighting for those educational dollars. So then when we talk about splitting up those educational dollars between educators and mental health professionals, it's, it's a pretty big deal. But I think that we do need to bolster our educational dollars and then spend some of those educational dollars on, there it doesn't make sense to me that an elementary school has one counselor or two counselors, like there needs to be multiple counselors and especially at high schools, a high school counselor shouldn't be more of an academic advisor. They need to be a mental health as well. Um, and so I really think that we need to increase mental health in our education system. And I think truly that when educators are going and getting their continuing education, that they need to get trauma-informed care. They need to understand what it means to look at their students through a trauma-informed lens. What does it mean to view your students as people? As people, people mm -hmm. first, not students. Stop viewing your students as students and view them as people, as individuals. Right. Like I cannot harp on that enough. Please view your students as individuals, as people with hearts and and stuff outside of the classroom like that, I, I would just love to foot stomp. Just not a number, not a number in your grade book, not a number in your class as individuals that has stuff going on just because as with feelings, yes, yeah. just because they are a young adult or a young individual, it doesn't mean that they're not human. And so many times adults forget that they themselves have good days and bad days and they themselves have feelings and they themselves have ups and downs and husbands and wives and kids and they have all kinds of stuff going on and they give themselves allowances for that. But then when it comes to kids, they don't give kids allowances for that. They expect kids to show up and do their best and be perfect every single time. And then that's absolutely ridiculous. And so I just, would, I think that Part of the solution is student is teachers just looking at students as kids and as humans, as individuals, and not just a number in the classroom. Just my goodness, just, <laughs> that one drives me crazy. So, and so I just really think that having educators spend part of their continuing education just getting a, a trauma informed approach and what does it mean to to look at your students through that lens. Yeah, I think that um, they say in therapy, 75% um, of success in therapy is the therapeutic relationship. The relationship that you have with your client. And I would argue that the same is true in education, that success in education should start with relationship. It should start with socialization. It should start with building a sense of community and connectedness. 
because if a student is coming with, from a background of trauma or, or coming from a, a, a past that, um, you know, there, there's no other way to find out about that student, to find out about their individual experience, their individual culture, than to create the space to, to ask those questions, to create the space to have those conversations, which means creating a community where you can come and talk about that. Instead of the classroom being the place where you leave your individuality at the door and you, and you close your mouth and you listen, why not have that be a place where you can come and be yourself and express your, your feelings and to share your experience and, and to create that community. And then within that community, and now there's trust and relationship the, the learning will happen there once you facilitate that. So I think that is a huge piece. Another piece is um, understanding the, that the fundamental design of the education system is, is flawed, is, is not uh, conducive to this kind of community. And what does it mean to assess the knowledge? This is something that um, you know, higher and higher up in education, um, they're discussing what what is assessment? How do we measure what knowledge is? Is it through standardized tests? Is it through filling out bubble forms? Is it um, or is it through uh, hands-on activities or or working together in groups in a group setting or being out in nature and exploring the world like like how do we demonstrate that we've learned something? Um, and the current system of standardized testing, it really only works for a small majority of the overall population in general. So that's, that in itself is, is another thing that, that's worth taking a look at when it comes to trying to meet students where they are and, and be mindful of their mental health needs. All right, thank you guys. That was a great discussion. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. First off, I'd like to say sorry for Dale being a bit quiet. Uh, I can't get him again. He's my mom's coworker, and I had him come in just for this. And I didn't know until after that that it was so quiet. But um, anyway, so I obviously had two perspectives there. One for my mom, who's getting her doctorate in mental health. So she knows what she's talking about. She's an American family therapist. And then Dale, who uh, has his bachelor's in mental health. He works at CCS, Catholic Community Services. And he was an educator before he worked there. So that really gave me insight into, into what it's like from their perspective. And like I brought up, it is challenging to split these dollars because they're fighting for so many. You know, we have teachers going to strike every year. But it is important to note that mental health won't be going away ever. You need to address it eventually. You can't just keep putting it off. And despite the economic challenges it may create in the long run, it will definitely help ease some of those challenges. When we have people who are happier, when we have people who are more productive, we have a more productive society as a whole. So I like to play some clips from the podcast about institutional racism. It doesn't cover the race part as much as it does what it's like for these people who don't have access to this funding, who can't just say, hey, I would love 
to have someone to talk to, talk about problems about, someone who can help me theorycraft solutions to what I'm facing. Because no kid should have to go about this alone. We should give them the resources they need, not want, but need to face these issues. School districts need to have all the resources that can possibly be available for every child enrolled at a district. School districts are responsible for giving these resources to children, so consider this. At any given day, 100% of the student body will be present at a school, so on any given day, there needs to be resources like books, computers, materials, and other equipment for 100% of enrolled children. Why then does it make sense to only have 92% of resources available to 100% of students? The message is clear. Texas should not utilize a method that only accounts for 92% of enrolled children. You may be asking yourself on the relevance of this topic, and trust me, I once thought the same. But this also needs to be said. Seven states outside of Texas also use cell phones ADA funding. These states include California, Idaho, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, New Jersey, and Illinois. And though these numbers may seem small, these states account for roughly one-third of enrollment at the national scale. One-third of all students attend these school districts. This means that one-third of all children in the United States see some form of reduced funding due to average daily attendance. All right, so right there she's talking about ADA, which is a system that gives funding to schools with how many children they have. And now this is a problem because the per-children funding is the same all across the board. The places that need it most don't get that extra funding. And because of that, they end up having 92% of the student resources available at a time. We need 100%. We need resources for all of our children. Because if we don't have that, then they have nowhere to go. They have no one to talk to. They have no one to console in. And even other states still have some type of this. It, it may not be exactly the same. It may not be an ADA-style format. But they do give funding based on how many kids are in the district. And this causes many problems. Because you can't throw money to problem. You need good management. And we've got good management. We end up with these inner-city kids flunking out of school because there's no one to help them. No one's motivated enough to really try and give their best to give these kids good. They just do their job. We need people to do more than this. But to, I recognize to do this, we need to also have more funding. We'd have, have teachers get paid more to really be involved in their students' lives. Because while there are some, I've had some, everyone's had some, there are some bad apples. There are career teachers, but they're also great ones. And we need these ones across the board. We need to encourage these good people to work in these places. Because I've known teachers who have to work summer jobs just to make ends meet. And that's a problem. And that's a problem we all have to face. It's not the teacher's fault that they're not getting enough to live off of. And thus, we can't blame them for not doing above and beyond work. Right, the final thing I'd like to touch up on is standardized testing. So the clip I'm going to play talks about how this stresses out students. And like uh, I did in the interviews, I talked about what 
role these tests take, and they obviously talking about how it puts unnecessary stress in these kids' lives and they're seen as a number rather than an individual, which we need to see them as because we can't see them as a statistic. We need to see them as breathing humans. We need to see them as living, fragile things that need our help, that need our aid. In the case of schools, students with test anxiety may have trouble performing their best on a standardized test, not because they don't know the answers, but because they're feeling too nervous to share what they've learned. Students with reading challenges may struggle with the wording of a math problem, so their test results may better reflect their literacy rather than numeracy skills. And students who are confused by examples on tests that contain unfamiliar cultural references may do poorly, telling us more about the test taker's cultural familiarity than their academic learning. Now that I put a short clip in there, because I really want to put anything major because it's something I want to talk about myself. But the thing is, standardized tests don't give us a just brilliant idea of how much someone's worth, about how well they'll fit into college. Because at the end of the day, what it comes down to is standardized tests compared to other people. And in this case, it doesn't exactly test your knowledge because people have much different views on these tests. They have different levels of anxiety about it. And this causes people to actually reflect their knowledge. And this whole thing about having these big tests that will, will really determine your future is that they cause a lot of anxiety. They make people be depressed because they think, hey, I haven't learned anything. What was the point of my last you know, four years of high school? And for me, I had that stress until I took the practice test. Uh, it wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it would. I got it at 1250 without any studying. So I know I can get higher, but like my family was talking up so much. I was worrying. It was a big deal stress in my life in a time where it's already going through so much. And that's just painful. That's tough. So I think the solution is looking at statistics is to get rid of them. Students don't like taking these tests. Not because they don't like sharing their knowledge, but because of what it brings in their life. Even people that do well on it will tell you, hey, this is a flawed system. I talked to my brother's friend Matt the other day. He's at UW. He's studying to become a marine, bi marine biologist. I asked him about his thoughts on the SAT because he scored a 15, uh, I think, 60. He said he feels like it's worthless. Isn't been preparing for college. Same thing no matter what. He just stressed out about it for months all these ap classes just to get a high score on this and he feels burned out at college that's what these do to people they burn them out so many people do not want to do their college work because they feel like hey i've already gone through this i'm not i don't want to do this for another four or six years and that's a rampant problem that we need to solve thank you So the point of this podcast was to sort of enlighten, inform about this topic, this issue that's so pressing that not enough people seem to care about. So I thank you for listening. I hope you all learned a ton about this from the interviews, the video clips, everything. I encourage you to read as much about it as you can, because this is an issue that will affect our future, the children that come, that we bear. This is what will happen with our future world. Only if we have fit people 
but we have tools to create a better society, better tomorrow, to overcome the greatest challenges such as climate change. If we don't have the tool prepared for this, then what do we have? Ask yourself that. Thank you.